Roman. This is the very beautiful Sharon Tate, I'm sure you've seen in films, and her husband, very talented Roman Polanski, best known for his original film, Knife in the Water, which he wrote and directed, and he's also responsible for Rosemary's Baby, the picture. And uh, I think maybe a little later we'll get a chance to sit down and talk a little bit about sex and films. And Anytime. I really enjoyed you in, in uh, Valley of the Dolls. You're really oh, wild. The whole thing in terms of sex and, uh, and films is interesting, and maybe we'll get a chance to chat about it. Good. Pass some food out and play the host. For the Nightfly with Dave Juskow. Keep forgetting the change of them, whatever. Back from sunny LA, back in sunny New York City, where the weather is just absolutely perfect, as it was in Los Angeles. But who cares about the weather? I don't know why I always mention it all the time. I guess because I'm looking out the window and it's a delightful day. It's the Atonement Edition of the Nightfly with Dave Juskow. On the flip side. Yeah, because um, it's uh, I'm 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 taping on all right. Just I'm taping on Yom Kippur. All right, all right. Do I feel horrible? Of course I feel horrible, but I I, I felt it was necessary uh, because I, well, what am I doing? You know, what are you doing on Yom Kippur? You, you're sitting around, you're not eating, you're not drinking. So what is there to do except you know either sleep or watch TV, go to shul. And as you know, Atel and I have been uh, planning an after shul special for a very long time. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Is this is this on or? There's nobody here. It's just me. Me and the, the Just Cow compound uh, with some tales to tell and some stories to weave from my Los Angeles experience, which I haven't been in two years because Los Angeles will always eat me up and swallow me whole. And this time was no exception. But uh, coming from it, we do have some uh, good, interesting podcast news. If you are a fan of this show, then we have good news for that. If uh, you are not a fan and you like to see Dave Juskow uh, humbled and uh, kicked in the ass uh, multiple times, you'll also like this show. So really, it's a win-win situation for uh, anybody who knows me or listens to me or whatever the case may be. But here we are on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Now, as a Jewish fellow, which I am, uh, for years, of course, I wouldn't tell anybody, but then, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> they figured it out, huh? <laughs> hey, how you doing? So, yeah, I, uh, I've i always been a, a pretty good Jew. And... Uh, you know, in the sense of, you know, I, I, I will fast on Yom Kippur and I, you know, I like the candles on Hanukkah and that kind of stuff and keep a little bit of kosher because, but the question is why? Why do I do it? Well, that is my religious upbringing and sometimes it's hard to shake. My other friends don't seem to give a crap, but then their parents weren't as religious as mine were, or at least my mother. And uh, no matter how you try and shake it, it's, it's in your life. Now, last night was Rachel Feinstein's birthday. And she is one of those people, and I've 
get angry at her all the time. If she's performing, you know, when Cole Nidre comes on a Friday night, uh, which is the Yom Kippur Eve, which is the most holiest of holidays. Now, I don't know who invented all these Jewish holidays and why holidays are made to feel people feel bad. You know, when we got here to America, all the holidays are awesome. You know, you're celebrating people. You're celebrating Christopher Columbus, who, uh, you know, was a real bag of shit, apparently. Uh, you celebrate, uh, well, you said, but all right, so that's a bad one. But you celebrate your veterans. You that's a, that's a well, actually, that's a sad one too. You celebrate Thanksgiving. You know where we we raped and pill, pillaged all the Indians that first took. You know what? Um, maybe holidays are meant to just be sad and depressed. Now that I think about it, um, is there a good one? Well, Christmas, I guess. But well, that is a good one, isn't it? Because you're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But then you know there is that in your head that later in the month, you're in the in the few months you're going to have to celebrate the death of Jesus. So, but I guess Christmas, and certainly they've certainly made it a good time, you know, with Santa and everything. So, is that the best holiday? Because Hanukkah's not. Hanukkah, you know, is supposed to rival Christmas, and it's, you know, they think they realized that the Jews would revolt if there were no gifts given, so they, you know, added on a thing. But, you know, it's still a sad, everything in the Jewish religion is sad. So, let's, let's just assume there are no good Jewish holidays. I'm trying to think of their other... Well, well, right, but if you're celebrating for the wrong reason, Thanksgiving, I mean, you're supposed to be celebrating good, but I'm just a proprietor of just like, you know, if everybody's getting uptight about everything, then let's do the... Let's look at all the holidays. Let's look at... If you're getting uptight about everything, which everybody is, then why are we celebrating Thanksgiving? Why are we celebrating the fact that we stole all this land and murdered all these people to, you know, live where we're living? I don't know. I mean, I love Thanksgiving. Who doesn't love Thanksgiving? Who doesn't love a holiday where you don't got to go to temple or church or anything and you just stuff your face and watch football? Now, that is a brilliant holiday, a brilliant holiday. Whoever invented this particular holiday like a, and, when, and what it's become now is a genius. But, you know, if we really look inside, it's a mess. Well, Halloween is a good holiday, but you don't get off from work for that, so you can't you don't count it. Anyway, the point of the matter is, so it's Feinstein's birthday, and I hate the fact that she doesn't care. So she says, uh, we're having dinner at Amy Schumer's house on Friday night. This is last night for me. This comes out on Monday. I say that sounds perfect because I actually thought for some reason we were having a Yom Kippur dinner at her house. I, I don't I didn't think it was like a party. I thought she said we're having dinner. I thought it was a Yom Kippur. I'm like, that sounds perfect. I could totally come to that. Because many times people have asked me out, and if it is Kol Nidre, I don't go out. Now I don't go to temple, but I at least just stay home. I just you know, I and I think I've said this before, my grandmother many years ago, and she wasn't religious. She hated temple. This is the my my dad's side wasn't as Jewy as my mom's, who was ridiculously Jewy. You know, that's my mom's is where we had to sit on the separate sides and, you know, the orthodox stuff. So, so we, uh, so my grandmother said, you know, I wanted to go outside. We were in Brooklyn and I always wanted to go outside and play with my friends. And I was like, can I bring my sandwich? And she goes, it doesn't look good for a Jewish boy to be out on Yom Kippur eating. And you know what? I think even though I was little and I was a bag of crap, um, I respected that because it, this was a woman who doesn't celebrate any of the holidays. This is uh, my grandmother, Ruth. Mama Ruth, we used to call her. Mama Ruth. She was wonderful, wonderful. Married to Papa Lulu, who uh, began the uh, division of the FBI under the name Lulu. 
Uh, but they called him Leonard because nobody believed his actual name was Lulu. And apparently I'm supposed to name my first kid Lulu. So that probably has told you why I'm not married. Uh, but so, you know, I respected the fact that this woman who doesn't care for religion or Jewishness or temple said, you know what? Let's just, you know, keep up the appearance. Don't eat outside. You know, that seemed like a fair assessment. Don't eat outside today. You know in my house you're the king of the castle, unlike my mother who doesn't seem to understand grandmotherish stuff. You know in my house, my grandchildren are the king of the castle. I'm asking you this one thing. She didn't have to tell me twice. I understood. It made sense. Just don't eat outside. Go outside and play. Just don't eat this one day of the year. Made a lot of sense. And for years, although I've, you know, slacked off a couple times, you know, I've always at least kept inside. I've never drank, you know, the night before or whatever. Um, and, you know, I usually fast in the sense, you know, no, no drinking, no eating until sundown. Uh, the two years ago, was it, when Sarah was hosting Saturday Night Live, it was on Yom Kippur. I was furious. I understand she's not religious, but it's just, you know, you're Jew. You're a Jew. You sit there, you tell everybody you're a Jew. Why do you got to like not, I understand you don't want to celebrate, but like do you have to shove it in everybody's face that you hate your religion? You know, that's a problem for me. That's all I'm saying. Because there's so much anti-Semitism. Can't you just relax that one? You know, can't you tell Lauren Michaels, I, Lauren Michaels, also Jewish, I can't do it that day. It's Yom Kippur. And then he'll say, yeah, but the show airs, you know, we're taping it live after sundown. But then you have to say, but isn't, won't there be a rehearsal like Friday and I'll be fasting all day or whatever? So obviously I was able to go because it was after sundown, but I wouldn't have gone. I don't think I would have. Maybe I don't know anymore. I'm confused. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm conflicted with. So yesterday I go to Amy Schumer's house and I'm walking past all these temples all these synagogues with all the families walking out, wearing the yarmulkes, the taluses, and the kids walking around and everything. And I'm like, uh, I feel very guilty right now. So I went to the house and it's like a party. It's not just a dinner. I thought it was a sit down. It's a party. And now, I, you know, but I'm like, uh, I already decided I was going to do it. But that's okay because I don't mind like eating something. And then, you know, Saturday will be my the day I don't eat and drink. But meanwhile, I got drunk. What am I going to not drink? And uh, what are you going to do? I mean, it was just easy. I had beer and wine and all that stuff. And, you know, we had some good food. Amy was kind. She catered. You know, she had a caterer come in and stuff. But, and, you know, all all the good folks were there. Joe Mackey and uh, Memo and uh, Keith Robinson, who was just the funniest person. Marina. All of Rachel's friends. It was all Rachel's friends. And Amy said, I'll have a party for you. And I thought it was because I'll have a party for you because it's Yom Kippur. I know you can't go up, but apparently these girls just don't care about any of that kind of stuff. So I'm not feeling that guilty because I'm drinking. I'm going to feel a little guilty. And and then Amy kicks everyone out at 11 o'clock. And we're having a good time. We're a drinking crowd. Steve and Irene were there. You know, Irene from the podcast, Irene Bremis, and her husband owns the pizza place. And we're all drinking. We're having a good time. Rachel's boyfriend... We're all drinkers. We like drinking. Have a good time. And she kicks us out at 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock on a Friday. Let's, let's assume it's not Yom Kippur. She kicks us out. 
And I'm like, well, what the hell kind of friend is this? And, and you can see Rachel's upset. It's like, why have the party at all? Now, now you could look at this two ways. Now, number one, she's like, listen, why don't you have the party here? But, you know, say in advance, I, I, but I have to have everybody out at 11. But she didn't say that. Or, hey, I got to go upstairs and go to bed. You keep the party going. You stay as long as you want, but I got to go to bed at 11. Because she's rehearsing for her new role on Broadway with Steve Martin. Now, you know how nervous I get about performing one night. She's doing eight shows a week, performing on Broadway. She's got to relax. She's got to rehearse, I guess, today, which, of course, pisses me off. But um, she's Hebrew, too, you know. Uh, But I get that, right? So she's being diligent. And we all know that Amy Schumer is very driven and diligent and wouldn't do anything to mess up. She's very smart. And what are you going to do? It's Rachel's birthday. The day she got to do it. But, you know, don't have the party then. Just say like, hey, I'll, 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 either I'll pay for everything, whatever, and have it somewhere else because I got to rest up. But don't. How is it a party if you kick everybody out at 11 o'clock on a Friday? We're adults. We're not. It's not a school night. We're not, you know, 15. We don't have to. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, that was a little odd. And I feel a little disrespectful. I feel Rachel was upset. We still had a good time anyway. I mean, we left and then, you know, so then then they're like, we're going to another bar. Rachel's like, we're going to another bar. I'm like, that's something I can't do. I can't be out on on cold Nidre, the holiest of all days. I can't go out. But I was already wasted. I'm like, yeah, I'll walk to the bar. And then I was like, well, I'll look inside the bar and see. And it was an Irish bar. And I'm like, you know, nobody's going to recognize me here. You know, <laughs> like, so. And I don't know what am I worried about. Somebody recognize me. I'm not worried about that at all. I'm worried about from above. And then it just got worse, you know, so I drank and then Rachel's like, hey, we're getting a slice of pizza. So she, we all got a slice of pizza afterwards. Now, and we're eating it on the street. I am defying everything. We're eating it on the goddamn street. But the question is also, why do we need a piece of pizza? Amy had this huge thing catered. You know why? Because there's never enough. That's like Jimmy Kimmel. These celebrities don't know how to cater. They don't know how to cater. That's why I don't go to Jimmy Kimmel's anymore. There's never enough food. Have leftovers. Have stuff we can grab later on. Oh, my God. Where do these people come from? And Jimmy Kimmel, like, I think he's Italian. How do you not have stuff left? You know, how do you not tell the caterer guy, the chef, I'm like, listen, this is the story, and have all this so people can pick at it, like, throughout the night or whatever and eat again. They're already cleaning up and stuff that they took, you know, my plate like three times. I'm like, I'm not finished. Oh, you're finished. So then we leave the pizza place and me and Memo are walking down. I'm, I walk, I'm, I'm going to walk home. I'm on 86 and Broadway. I'm going to walk home because what am I doing? I'm a little drunk. And I, I, I want to sober up. We go past, we're on 72nd and Broadway. We go past Grace Papaya. Now I've been going past Grace Papaya for the longest time forever. And recently, too, and I'm always looking at it. I'm like, God, that looks good, looks good, but no, no, no. And today, I go to Memo, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. (laughs) I'm having it. He's like, what? And I'm like, I got it. I don't know why. Today's the, I'm just going for it all. I mean, if you're going to not, if you're going to not do Yom Kippur, you might as well go for it all. So I had two hot dogs with relish and, no, no, uh, sauerkraut and the the onions and, uh, and a pina colada. I usually have the papaya drink, but I had the pina colada this time. I don't know. I just needed it. 
and I ate them both. At the second one, I was kind of full, so I didn't bother eating the hot dog. I should have just asked, let me just have a bun. My friend Danny Vermont invented just like, yeah, now give me another one without the hot dog, just the bun and the onions. Because why not? You know, that's the delicious part. So I just ate the top off the second one because I was pretty full. I didn't need another hot dog. But it was delicious. It was it was totally worth it. And I didn't feel bad after or anything. It was totally worth it. But, you know, I do feel like this. Um, I've been feeling this. Let me see if I can get to the part. Let's say there's this man who was very successful. He has everything. And after the awful deed is done, he, he finds that he's plagued by deep-rooted guilt. Little sparks of his religious background, which he'd rejected, are suddenly stirred up. See, that's what happened to me yesterday. Little pieces of my Jewish background, which I'd rejected, had suddenly stirred up. That's what happened to me yesterday. And then it got worse. He hears his father's voice. He imagines that God is watching his every move. Do you know what it's like being Jewish? It's like this. It's all just about the guilt. Why would somebody at my age, my advanced age, <laughs> just having a good time, why am I feeling guilty? It's part of the religion. That's what they do. Suddenly, it's not an empty universe at all, but a, a just and moral one, and he's violated it. Yeah, it's that bad. It's that bad. And there's nobody else on that street that feels the way I do. I mean, why, why do I feel so guilty? And I said, today I'm just going to fast. Now, today I'm breaking the fast with my sister. We're going to Rutgers, and we're going to that place, Stuff Your Face, where I'm going to have all those strombolis. You know, you can add stuff in. But I'm very excited about it. This is a different way to break the fast. I've never broken the fast like this before. It's always bagels and lox. But we're doing this, and I'm excited. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to eat like... You know, I'm going to have a, a glass of water to take my pill in the morning and then, because uh, you know, for thyroid. And then um, I'm not going to eat anything. But you know what? I was just, I'm like, you know what? What's the big deal if one year I don't, you know, people always ask me, do you fast? And I'm like, and then, uh, you know, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. And I feel guilty about that. But this year I'm just going to say, you know what? I didn't. I didn't. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm having a cup of coffee. I decided, you know what? I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Look at this. Mm. Okay, I just made it in the Keurig machine. I'm going to have a cup of... I didn't go out and get it. I just made it. I, I, I was like, you know what? I, a cup of coffee is going to make me just feel better. And you know what? And what am I holding on to? What, what's God going to do to me? You know? I mean, it's like it, what, I fasted all these years and nothing has gone well. Maybe I should just start, you know, giving it all up. I've been giving it up more up slowly as I go on, but... God, there really is that that guilt. It, it, it's a just and moral God now, and he's watching. My father, I can hear his voice. He hears his father's voice. He imagines that God is watching his every move. Suddenly, it's not an empty universe. He must have seen me masturbating last night. <laughs> at all, but a, a just and moral one, and he's violated it. Ooh. Oh, that's some messed up shit. That's some messed up shit, right? Well, that's what happened to me. And that's what I'm doing. And that's the name of that too. Now, let's get down to business. The clip we played up front. Fascinating. Uh, 
Hugh Hefner died. Now, when you, when I go away, and I don't know if this is true with everybody, when I go away and I was in L.A. for like five, six days, when I go away, I come back and I'm like, what happened? Because you know what? When you're on like kind of a vacation, and it wasn't that true vacation, but you're doing other stuff, you're out of it. You know, I read the post every day. I get it delivered. I watch the Today Show. Um, I, I know what's happening. But when you're away, sometimes you just are doing other things and you're not hearing stuff. So it's fascinating, like, you know, on Sunday, all this NFL stuff happened, and I was sitting at a bar watching the games, and I didn't know all of that stuff, the repercussions. The Rick Pitino thing that happened in Louisville with the, the brothel and all that. I still don't know what's happening there. I need more information, but I haven't had time to look it up. And then somebody told me that Hugh Hefner died. All this stuff, it's just funny when you go away and it come, and you come back and you're like, what, what, I left for two seconds, what happened? Jeez, I woke up in a great mood this morning, what happened? But can we all agree that Earth, Wind, and Fire is terrific? Now, um, so I've played the, the Hugh Hefner thing. Now, you know, we I have talked about this on this show because I had pitched a Playboy After Dark show to Comedy Central, and they stole it, put Janine Garofalo in instead of me. Oh, God, it still makes me mad. But I got to say, you know, playing the, looking up those clips a little bit, what a show it was. And you know what? Nobody's ever done it right. Nobody can do it right because you have to be, like, way cool. I still feel I can do this show at some point. I have a lot of friends that it would work with, but I need to get to a certain level to be able to put it together. You know, almost starting it on my birthday with that kind of show. So when you see this show, it was, you know, when you hear it, I mean, what? He had Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate on, and he's like, now let's talk about Rosemary's Baby. Now, that's an interesting quote. I mean, they're just sitting, it's a party, you can hear the music in the background, and Sharon Tate, oh my God. Now, most of us don't know Sharon Tate. I, I mean, you know, this all happened when I was four or whatever. Uh, you know, she's the one that got murdered by Charles Manson. Uh, you know, one of the horrible tra- uh, casualties. There's not just her, you know, but so all we know about Sharon Tate, most of us, most of us, you know, who are, you know, from zero to 50, is that she's the one that was murdered by Charles Manson. So, you know, we don't know about her. We just heard she was pretty and an actress. So when you see her, and I've never seen her before. I've never seen her in anything. Oh, my God, is she stunning. Oh, is she pretty, like, like uh, you know, if you look at this clip, like, bedroom eyes pretty. She's, like, all over half, but not in, like, a bad way. She's still with Roman, but, like, it's just she, she just gives off this sexiness in this 30-second clip. Oh, boy. Yeah. What a waste. Charles Manson's an asshole. That's all you get from that. Charles Manson needs to, you know can't believe he's still alive but not enough harm has come to him for killing this ridiculously hot girl of course he didn't do it so you know and we were talking about those other girls that actually did it they're always trying to get on parole well all they should do when the parole board is play that clip with this girl and just realize how hot she is and they'll they'll never leave jail ever and they shouldn't should they if you get 25 years to life i mean technically it's 25 years so I don't know, but boy, what a beauty and what a great show! Uh, here's Roman Polanski, and um, so and what you know, what about his life too? So how fascinating is that? Is this girl who's about to be murdered in you know a couple of months maybe, and then Roman Polanski is about to have to flee the country and never return? Um, but you know what? A lot of people don't take that into consideration, and I'm I'm not, you know, whatever you're going to look at this, but let's take into consideration that Roman Polanski can't come back because he fucked a 13 year old girl. 
or whatever it was, 13 or 15. Uh, yeah, that's not acceptable. But, uh, you know, he's been trying to come back in the country, and he knows as soon as he walks in the country, he's going to nab him. Now the girl, and again, we've spoken about this before, the girl who he raped has already said, will you just let him back in the country? I don't want to deal with this anymore. I've made my peace with this. Like, she doesn't even want to be a part of it anymore. Uh, nobody cares, and, and you know, who knows what the story was. You know, her mother put her in that position and stuff. It's all it's all weird. Everything was weird. But do we ever take into consideration how messed up in the head Roman Polanski is in the fact that his wife got brutally murdered by the most famous you know, a serial killer ever. I mean, do we ever take into consideration what that did to that guy's head? He was already crazy. And then maybe that just messed him up. Who knows how it happens? Do you ever take that into consideration? His wife was murdered and everyone knows it in a, in a ritualistic killing. And everyone knows and they found the murderer and he's alive and, and laughing at him. He's alive. When you see stuff with Charles Manson, remember, he's, you know, he's in jail. He's crazy, but he's laughing. He's laughing. <laughs> he's got that swastika on his forehead. I mean, he's laughing. I mean, do we know what that... And he was, you know, and they found them really quickly. I don't even think they tried to hide it. What does that do to a person? Who knows? Yes, you're not supposed to sleep with 13 to 15-year-old girls. No, you're, I mean, you, you have to be smarter. But who knows how that affects the mind? something uh, nobody ever takes into consideration, but they should. In a sense of uh, maybe, you know, yeah, no, it's not cool. I don't think he, like, raped. I mean, it's considered rape because she's not of age, but I, it seemed like, it, you know what, getting into a bad place. <laughs> Stop. But, uh, but this is a strange show. It's a strange show. But you know what? I'm, and we're talking about, uh, I haven't been in two weeks because we did the uh, Grease show. And then we did, uh, we, we aired the Grease thing. I hope you liked it. Uh, like I said, I, I liked it. I liked listening to it. Uh, just get angry when people are improvising and then they just don't continue. I don't care if people go off book, just move on. But, you know, Rachel's always sitting there laughing and I'm like, move on. You know what I'm listening to? And I'm like, oh my God, move on. But I thought, you know, it was okay. I hope you liked it. It's long, right? But the audience liked it. Got good reviews at the other comics, the seller. You know, people have been spreading the word, which is always good for me. That week, I saw the uh, I saw the movie It, which I haven't been to the movies in years. I went with uh, Rachel and her boyfriend and Rachel's friend, and uh, that was fun. I liked that movie. It wasn't like scary, but it was fun. It was entertaining. I keep thinking about it. I kept looking up that clown, looking up what he looks like. You know, when he's not in the clown. And yesterday, I think I was talking to Memo, and I'm like, um, "Well, why is that kid talking to that clown in the sewer?" You know, I can't feel bad for that kid. Even if you're six, you see somebody in the sewer dressed as a clown. Now, if you see a man, a regular normal man dressed in the sewer, you probably ask him a couple of questions. What are you doing down there? What's that about? But you see a clown in a sewer. I, I can see being curious and wanting to talk to him, but don't, you know, if he says, do you want this boat? Don't, don't, don't grab it from him. You know something bad is going to happen. I mean, you got to be a real stupid kid. and You got to blame the parents for that, even if you're four. Even if you're four, he said, my mom said not to talk to strangers. He's wearing a clown suit and he's just sitting in the sewer. Uh, you know, at that point, you're like, yeah, I don't want that boat back. There's something up with you and I don't know what it is, but it's, uh, you got a problem. What are you doing in that sewer? How'd you get in there? Still, though, 
The guy who plays the clown is terrific. It's really great. Um, so I like. I had a good time. Then we went to the firehouse, uh, where Rachel's boyfriend is the captain, and it was like uh, I was like, can, can I walk around? We just went into the kitchen, but it's still like you know, if you go to a firehouse and you're a man, you're always going to be a little boy who needs to see the firehouse. It doesn't matter how old you are, you need to see it. The girls were just you know. Gaga over the guys who were just walking around, but quite frankly, also as a man, you're just like, God damn, they are good looking. It's amazing. They're just walking around like, hey, making coffee, and they're like, but they are, you know, tall and handsome. It's really funny. It's like I told you that time when I was getting that carpet put down, and my uh, doorman or the handyman uh, I had the epileptic seizure, and they, you know, he called 911, and there was like a fire next door, so all the guys came into my apartment, and there was like, it was like uh, the scene of Risky Business. I, 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 where the door just kept opening. It was like one hot guy after the next. And, you know, just like, uh, well, I just put down carpet. Uh, and they don't take their shoes off. I'm like, but, you know, but you, whatever you guys want to do, you just you just feel like a less of a man because they are the manliest of men. But uh, that was super fun. And the next day, I did this uh, Alan Fuchs podcast at Rick's Cabaret. So I just assumed there was going to be, and I did it on a Sunday during football, which is a big deal for me. I assumed there was going to be like strippers and midgets and balloons, like a tells joke. And uh, there was none of the sort. I was a little disappointed about this. Like, oh, if, if I knew you wanted strippers, I'm like, if you knew, what the? F-? I'm like mad at him. Wait, you could have had strippers? What? Why wouldn't I want, why would I go to Rick's Cabaret and do your podcast? It's, a, it's a, called This Week in Sex. I thought there were going to be strippers there. So anyway, one of her, his co-hosts, this girl, Keanu, who's trying to be a comic, she's really pretty, and we went out drinking afterwards, and we're at this bar, and I put my cash down, uh, you know, I buy, I buy the first round, and I, and, I, and I have the money on the bar, you know, I don't pick up the money, we're sitting there, so I think everybody does this, you just leave the money on the bar, when you get another drink, she's going to take it out of the money you have on the bar, and we're sitting there, and the girl working there just goes, hey, thanks a lot. And she just took the money and left. Like her shift was over. Like, thanks a lot. Now, the, I'm not crazy, right? That's rude. She just, and we looked at her and said, what, the, what was that? Like, I, I didn't tell her that was her tip. She didn't know that was her tip. That was an uncool move, right? I was going to give her a tip, but, you know, I didn't know you were your shift was over. Usually they say, Hey, my shift is over. So if you guys need anything else and then you're like, Oh, let me take care of this or whatever. You know, I mean, really, I just, I want, you know, I was probably going to leave her at the first time, you know, when you get drinks, you leave like $2, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not like a restaurant or something. If I'm buying drinks one at a time, I'll leave two extra bucks for the beers or whatever. Um, but she took $7, $7 of which I might've given her. I didn't know how long I was going to stay. I don't know. That story stinks, but, it's stupid, and it bothered me. Anyway, Monday night, I went to the Giants game where I was supposed to do the egging. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you tuned into this podcast to know what happened, I didn't do it. I freak, I got nervous. I got there. I was having a lot of trouble getting out of the city. The UN was in session. Donald Trump was in town. I was just all trying to get in. So then I went to the tailgate, got completely hammered, had a really good time. And then at halftime, everybody left. And I was like, well, now I could do it. But I'm like, you know what? I just want to get in to the city. I don't know how I'm going to bring my car back. I, 
I just got nervous. The Secret Service were all over the place. It wasn't the right time to egg somebody's house. So the next date is October 8th. But again, it's tough to, you know, in the morning when you come out of the turnpike into the Meadowlands, if you miss the turn, you go in the wrong section of the parking lot. So I'm afraid. And then if I do it after, I just, you know, at 5 o'clock, then it's like maybe I just want to get home. I, I'm going to have to choose another day. And I'm sorry to disappoint everybody. I've got the lacrosse stick in the back. I'm ready to go. I had a head of lettuce too. But I just got to find the right time. Because even if I go early in the morning, I just don't want to screw up how you get into the parking lot. I know exactly how to get into it. And it's very confusing. And you know you got to get the right section or you can get screwed. So that's... But I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I'll get it done. Trust me. This lady's not going anywhere. And I have some more eggings I'm going to do after I went to L.A. So I go to L.A. And uh, the first day is Cyrus party. And it's excellent. I had a great time. Uh, it was what I got wasted. And I had a great time. So I'm doing shots with the bartender all night long. She's really pretty. It's outside. It's on the roof. It's beautiful. And we're doing te- tequila shots. All night, and she's doing it with me. So it's super fun. And, uh, you know, it was great for me. Like, I was really hitting it off with this girl because every time I was over at the bar, somebody awesome would come over and, you know, talk to me and then we'd make fun. And and so she must have just thought I was, I don't know who this guy is, but he's hooked up with everybody. He must be a producer. So seriously, I mean, it was like one of those perfect storms where there's no way I could fail with this girl because I did get her number after. And, you know, I called her a couple times. Then she changed her number. But, you know, at first, though, no, no, but it was cool, and um, but then at the uh, so then but so, but then I was really wasted, but in a great way. You know, I was having a really good time. Obviously, you know, I was doing all those shots, and I was completely wasted. And when I'm hammered, and all through life, all I want to do is this one scene from Cocktail. Like um, I don't know why, but nobody knows it, so it doesn't matter. Where the uh, Elizabeth Shoes father. <clears throat> just starts yelling at the doorman for letting Tom Cruise in. And that's the way I want to greet people all the time. Hey, I thought I told you to get out of here. Like, you know, guns blazing, finger pointing, and in everybody's face. He pushed right past me into the sitting room. And I thought I told you to keep that punk out of this house. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I thought I told you to keep this punk. That's what I want to say, but have something to say when you say it. And that's the mood I was in on Saturday so I saw this kid, Zach Braff. I don't know if you know this guy from Scrubs. And I let him have it. You know, like, I, I just I barely remember. But to me, I was doing the scene. And I'm like, I thought I told you. I, whatever it was, because I was mad because he was in that play, uh, Bullets Over Broadway, which stunk. And, I, you know, I turned into Jerry Stiller. I'm like, hey, Kruger, what you doing with that team? It's horrible. You know, he yells at Steinbrenner and Kruger. We're like, my son says you're an idiot. Uh, I don't know. You know, I just uh, I, I feel like everybody's going to know what I'm doing, but I, I don't think he appreciated it at all. Because meanwhile, then I saw Michael Sarah, and I saw him in a play and that was a really good play. and He was really good. So then I think Zach Braff had had enough of me. And then I saw the guy from the new girl, the Jewish guy, Schmidt, and I gave it to him. And I let and I said, what's the deal? I thought the show was canceled. Now you're coming back. I don't know what's happening anymore. You know, I'm just yelling at everybody. I, I, I don't know whether they got it or not. I really don't. I really don't. But the best is I was hanging out with that guy who I love, that Adam Schlesinger, you know, has written all those songs that we love. I told you, Stacy's mom and that thing you do. Oh, my God. This guy is just the shit. He's so cool. And he writes all the songs on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I can't even believe it's a third season. 
I stopped watching it because I didn't think it was going to last. And he writes all the songs for them. And, of course, he's writing Sarah's Broadway show. So this guy's so awesome. I, you know, I got his number now. Now we're friends. Plus, I also met John Ritter's widow, Amy Yazbeck, who was really pretty and really nice. And Sarah's like, I really want you to meet her. I like really, it's like she made a point, like you have to meet her. Uh, plus we have Richard Klein in, in common, you know, Larry from Three's Company. And David Yazbek, who's writing Tootsie, who I think I told you I'm, I am not in. Yeah, I, I told everybody. Um, so there was a lot in common there, kind of. Uh, and she was, boy, is she pretty. She's older than I am. She's really pretty and really nice. And that was exciting, you know. It's fun meeting celebrities and just yelling at everybody. You know, I just feel like an outsider, and uh, but I love every minute of it, you know. And and then, you know, and then there's certainly people I know uh, very well, uh, but I couldn't think because I was pretty hammered, like I said. Uh, like Heather Graham was there, and I'm like, okay, now I can talk to her because every, you know, I'd go to her parties. Me and Artie would go to her parties on Thanksgiving all the time, and I'm like, well, now I feel like I can probably talk to her, but I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It's too hammered. But it's still best time ever, right? So I got really wasted, and then I slept at Sarah's because the next morning I had to go to Santa Monica to watch football and, you know, get ready at 9 in the morning. So I put $100. I usually only bet $50 at a time. I put $100 on the Baltimore Ravens to beat the crap out of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The thing was in London, and it started at 6.30 in the morning. So I'm like, you know what? I'm putting my bet in right now because I know I'll be wasted, and I won't wake up at 6.30. And they got killed. I, I don't understand what happened. The Jaguars won 44 to 7. What? How did that happen? That was like the, the only time I'm like, yeah, that I'm a sure thing. I'm sure I'm gonna put a hundred dollars on it. You know, I really it was weird. And then that whole day was a mess, but that bar is fun, but I was hung over and I don't know how I didn't throw up and I still feel so bad for my lovely friend Andrew Hirsch and his wife, because I was just like Oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up like the whole time. They got eggs and stuff. I didn't eat anything. I didn't eat any of them. And then I, but I knew it would go away by noon, which it did. And then I was able to, I had a mimosa and just some coffee. And, and, and then it was so beautiful. The games were over. But the, so the games are over. And that, you know, first um, I was trying to watch that Dallas Atlanta game, the, the Atlanta Detroit game. And I was like, oh, no, Detroit's going to score at the last minute, and then they're going to cover, and they did. And then I went to the bathroom. Some guys in the bathroom like, oh, it turns out Atlanta covered. And I'm like, that's impossible. I just saw Detroit. But then apparently there was a controversial call. Like, I missed all this stuff, even though I was sitting in a place watching the games, but I missed all the controversy. And then when the Eagles and Giants tied up, because we're watching all the screams, I thought it was going into overtime, but then they told me, no, they won on a 61. I'm like, what? I just watched that yesterday. That was great. And and how classic is it? How classic is it if you are a Jets fan, which I'm not anymore? Well, how classic is it that the Giants are 0-3, the Jets are 1-2, and they won? I mean, that was ridiculous too, right? They win, which is the worst thing that can happen. We want them to tank so they get this good quarterback or a quarterback. And the Giants, what's going to happen is, the Giants aren't going to win a game all season. Then they're going to get the number one draft pick, pick the greatest quarterback that's going to back up Eli when Eli retires, and they're going to win two more Super Bowls, and the Jets will still be lost in less than mediocrity. The Jets are going to go 8-8, eight and eight, ruin all this rebuilding nonsense, and just it, and, and the Giants will prevail once again. 
It's unbelievable how that works out. I cannot believe the Giants are 0-3. And I wonder, I assume they'll beat Tampa, but who knows? Tampa's just 1-1. They play a pretty good game. Who knows? Can you imagine the Giants going 0-4? I mean, that's sick. In the Eli era? But, uh, yeah, so then I left and I was walking my friend home. It was 1 o'clock. You know, it's beautiful, Santa Monica. I'm like, let's just walk around the pier. It's one. I'm like, geez, I really got to go. I got to go. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's like 4.30. He's like, it's 1. It's 1.15. That's the best part. I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. I have like uh, seven hours until I got to do whatever I got to do next. It was great. So then I went home and I finally had Jack in the Box, you know. That was beautiful. And then I went, I took a little nap because I hadn't slept in weeks, it felt like. And then I went out to this place called The Baked Potato where I saw uh, this girl that I know. And and it, it, it's a club that her dad owns. And I told you I was going to go there. She plays the bass. And it was a, a really, you know, small club. In studio, the studio said I must have passed 100 times. And I asked uh, my friend Sharon Houston to come with me. And she looked really pretty, and the bass player looked really pretty. And this baked potato, like her, it was so funny. Um, I, I guess I'm debating whether to tell you this one part. But um, when I got there, it's called the baked potato, but they actually serve baked potatoes. And they were the, the most delicious-looking baked potatoes. I've ever. First of all, they, they must have been made by some sort of growth hormone or something because they're huge baked potatoes and they just stuff them with shit they got a cheesesteak baked potato they had like a mushroom omelet baked potato oh my god it looked good but i didn't want to eat in front of all the people you know i get nervous about that and i really wanted to just order a baked potato but you don't want to sit in front of a girl that you know is really pretty just stuffing your face with the baked potato it doesn't seem right so i just hung out there and then i met this girl and she goes boy i'd really like to just come to New York and, uh, you know, stay at your place and, and, and have sex. She said it a different way. For some reason, I'm having trouble saying it, but she said it a really much better way. And I, I, and I don't know, I guess I, my sister told me sometimes she doesn't listen to the show in the car because my nieces are in the car. <laughs> so I love that. Meanwhile, she says me the sexy thing. And then, you know, I just turn to the window. <laughs> you know, we could have the, and you could, and we could, because I mean, this is why, you know, it's so, I mean, this is the way I've been since, I mean, I don't know how you turn into a little boy when you're 50, when somebody said, yeah, I mean, you should be prepared for that kind of stuff nowadays, but, you know, I'm, I wasn't expecting it, and it was just, I, sure, because you, you you have to, you know, because there, there we are, you know, we'd be we'd be in the, the, the bed in the, the apartment, you know, so why not, you know, why wouldn't we, you know, do do this stuff, so she, she was texting me, like, all week, and and just saying, like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in bed. I'm uh, doing this. I, I don't know why I can't. I can't tell you this because I'm, I'm embarrassed. But she was sending all these sexy things, and I am just the Seinfeld. You mean the the panties your mother laid out for you? I, I can't do the dirty talk. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. And most guys shouldn't be able to do it. So I'm just like, hey, that sounds great. Yeah, let's do that. She's like, we should make out, though. Like, you know, we should make out at least. Because she knew I had to go. She goes, well, if you got to go, we should at least. You should meet me on Wednesday. We should make out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, because yeah, we could, because we could, you know, we could meet in the car and do, do some very heavy petting, you know, because, but then you know, you come here and I'll come there and we'll all, you know, bring my artifact from the states, the red light bulb. We can even develop photographs, you know, while we're, while we're you know, making love. Jesus, 
Have you always been funny? What, what is this? An interview was supposed to be making love. Well, I need grass. Otherwise, we can see. <clears throat> I'm like a comedian, right? So, if 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 I get a laugh from someone who's high, it it, it it's it's not a real laugh. Can I just do this for the next twenty minutes? Can I just do the entire script of Annie Hall as Woody Allen? That's all they want to do. I, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with someone I love. Adult education is wonderful. It's a you know it's a you meet very exciting people. Adult education is such crap. The professors are all over you. It's horrible. I don't know what I'm. I lost it, but I'm having a good time doing it. So anyway, let me get to this part. So Monday. Oh, after um, that girl like did that stuff, I was feeling so good. Um, my sister got me a Spotify account, and my you know the rental car I had was much better than the car I have now, and I was able to hook up. And I just kept playing this, driving around. I was so happy. <laughs> Back to 1984. Here's Sammy Hagar with Your Love is Driving Me Crazy. Now you gotta love Sammy. You gotta love Sammy. 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 Sorry. <laughs> That's the Seinfeld guy. Joe Messina listening. Uh, anyway, so on Monday was the big podcasting day where Vanessa, my manager, got me a studio that is owned and by Snoop Dogg and managed by the comedian Red Grant, who I'd never met before. A uh, guy opens for Cat Williams, black guy. And uh, we go in the studio and it smells like weed. And I don't know whether somebody was actually smoking or whether Snoop Dogg just has all his locations smell like weed because that's what he likes. It's one of those things. Maybe it's a perfume. Maybe it's blown in somehow. Anyway, I found out that Wiz Khalifa was there. And he had just gotten high. And then Vanessa goes, do you want to put Wiz Khalifa on your podcast? And I said, absolutely not. I would be terrified of that guy. But uh, long story short, Wiz Khalifa and Snoop Dogg want to now appear on the podcast after I did three very successful podcasts from their new studio, which was very nice. Now, I was very nervous. It was in a sketchy area of downtown. But we had couches. Uh, and microphones and stuff. Like, I thought it was going to be a table. I was nervous because I didn't know the setup. And I thought it was going to be a table and stuff. But it was um, it was nice. It was uh, it was pleasant. So, you know, we missed it. You know, I'm, I'm an idiot, so I come in. It's not the way I expected, so I just shut down. But th- those guys were really nice. So it's Red Grant 
and this guy Gene, and they're producing the show, and they're in there. But I think they really had a good time, and we had we had a lot of fun. So my friend William, who I was staying with, uh, who runs like our rehab center somewhere, and he's a, a homosexual, was my co-host for the two uh, the the first two days. So he was my guest the first time we just did a regular podcast. But the guys loved because they didn't understand. They didn't understand how I were. I'm like, well, I got my computer and I picked clips, and we didn't have a cord long enough. So I was just sitting near them, and I think they got it. Like I was just they saw how because I was like, well, what? Is, they're like, can you tell me the clips you're going to play? I'll download them so I can put them. I'm like, no, no, I never know what's going to happen. It's a feeling, and I type it in, and if I have it, I play it. And they didn't understand. They thought I was being a dick. But then once we were getting into it and stuff came up, they totally understood, and and we were having the best time. We really were having a great time, and, you know, I was being completely prejudiced and just having, you know, but they, they got it. You know, like it was super fun, and those guys were great, and they were, it was really fun, and we had a good time. They realized I just like making fun of everybody. You know, Jews, gays, blacks, it doesn't matter. Boys, I'd like you to meet your new pitcher, Amanda Wurlich. Jews, bigs, niggers, and now a girl? Grab a bat, punk. So there it is. Jews, spicks, niggers, and now a girl. Grab a bat, punk. But uh, so so we had a really good... So William was my first guest. And then my, my next guest was Rachel Butera, or Butera, who is a huge personality in the Howard Stern show, uh, which you know we love. So she does all the imitations, does Rosie O'Donnell, does all that stuff. So she was my guest. And it's funny, she does all those imitations, but I didn't want to make her do them for some reason. So it, it's a fun interview. We had a good time and she's very nice, but I, I, I felt bad making her do the imitations. So we just like kind of talked, but it was still super fun. And William was an outstanding co-host. He was asking questions and just, he was, he's such a nice person young you know a nice man and uh i think he just makes people feel at ease he's that kind of person which is why he's good in a rehab clinic so the thing with rachel was really fun and i had clips set up for her uh i made her sing um for a while just to see because i like when people can sing as a thing but mostly i just did the talking because that's what i do and then the next day uh i had my friend mitch watson in who is the uh, showrunner and creator of uh, the, the Batman and Scooby-Doo and All Hail King Julian. And he's, his backstory is so fantastic. Folks, folks, if you're like me and you worship this show in the sense that the way we talk about our Saturday morning cartoons and that kind of stuff, this is the one you want to hear. This kid is amazing. It's so fun for us probably only and we talk about you know um we talk about comic books and everything it's like i don't know whether those guys like like this particular episode because it was a little nerdy but um it but i know they still had a good time it's like really because mitch was a great guest because he was really uh great he talked he was uh easy to talk to i think there's something about the the studio the couch and everything so we know that when we go back um i can get you know uh I won't be afraid to get guests because now I know the situation. Like I won't be afraid to maybe ask somebody I might not have asked um, because the, the studio is really nice. And like I said, now because, you know, his guys got back to him, Snoop Dogg's like, well, I want to be on the podcast. So that would be a huge get. So we might go back in October or November. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I don't want to go back because here's what also happened. Now, Vanessa hooked this up, and that's really terrific. But she is – really bad as i've told you in the past uh 
because she has no street cred, and neither do I. So the two of us together are idiots. You know, like when you're somebody like me who really needs help, um, I need somebody with a lot of street cred. Otherwise, I'm never going to get my foot in the door. I mean, that's been the problem the entire time. So we have this meeting at this place called Full Screen, which is like a new Netflix or something, you know, where we're going to, like, I'm going to pitch a couple of shows. And it's all set up, and Vanessa's like, no, this is my friend, this is my friend. So they cancel on Tuesday. They cancel on Tuesday. And I get upset, of course. I go to pick her up. She goes, it's canceled. It's can- Don't take a breath. Now, remember, every meeting we've ever had together since I've been working with her has been canceled. So it's really bad. And I'm like, God, she has to be embarrassed. She should just get out of the business. But they said, listen, we're sorry we have to cancel today. The Rock is coming in. But if you have to change your flights or something, we'll pay for it. That's how much we are dedicated to meeting with you and your client. She sent me the text. So on Wednesday, we go, and we don't have to change our flights or anything. We go, and we go to the place, which is ironically by the airport. And we're waiting in the reception area for 45 minutes, and then they tell us he can't meet with you today. And we can't even believe it. So this time, she finally gets angry, which she should have gotten all those other times. But this time, I don't know, I guess... I don't know how she made the connection, but she called Snoop Dogg's manager and the manager called up this douchebag, Tenassis or whatever his name is, who works at full screen and let him have it. And then the guy who we we're supposed to meet with, Tenassis, I think that's his stupid name, uh, called up Vanessa and said, why did you tell on me? He was like shaking. It was awesome. And Vanessa's like, because you're an asshole. And you're completely unprofessional, and now Snoop Dogg will never work with you, or if he has any projects, this company will never work with you. And he was nervous, and it was awesome. And if you're going to get treated like that in Los Angeles, then at least, you know, you had the satisfaction of this guy kind of shaking in his boots. Because, you know, the other people we meet are just like, we don't care. But that was awesome. And I'm like, but Vanessa, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. If you are this close to Snoop Dogg, who is really... I mean, I don't know Snoop Dogg, but let's face it. Snoop Dogg is an entrepreneur. It's a fact. He's obviously a go-getter as high as he gets. He's, he, you know, it's, it's weird. He's, the, he's what I wish Sarah was. Somebody who gets high but yet really wants to do a lot of projects and, and do a lot of stuff and not just and be high but be able to do the projects really high. <laughs> so whatever his plan is and his, you know, compound and people, he's a go-getter. So I was like, if you know, if you have that connection, why don't we just have them make the calls for us? Because then at least we can, you know, and then we can take it from there. And she's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I think, you know, she was afraid to use the contacts just like I'm afraid to use the contacts sometimes. And I'm like, it's time to look past that and move on and not get cheated out of these meetings that, you know, we just need one to show that we're good together. But it's embarrassing because everybody knows she kind of sucks, like in the sense of like Sarah's friends and things like that. They're like, oh, she hasn't done anything for you. So I feel bad. And she's always like, you have my back, right? I'm like, it's hard for me to have your back when nothing has gone right for us. But she did get the studio and she produced the podcast really well. So I think there is hope for her in the future. I'm not sure if management is her thing, but maybe a producer or something like that. She was very good about that. Very good. And working, you know, with the guests and making sure they were okay and making sure their cars were parked, going out to make sure they were parked in the right place and all that kind of stuff, which is sometimes the stuff you take for granted. 
sometimes it's stuff you take for red granted. <laughs> How you doing? So uh, I don't know, you know. So it was like a bad experience again in L.A., but it was also a good experience there. And I think maybe this time, only because that thing happened on the last day I was there, uh, you know, it seemed bad. But the good outweighed the bad, I guess. And then we went to Tom Bergen's House of Irish Coffee, which I hadn't been, and I couldn't believe Vanessa knew the manager there. And I'm like, that's my favorite place in L.A. That place kept me sane when things were really bad for me in 2000. And I would go in there and, you know, they, they were really nice to me and it's an old bar and it was cool and it doesn't feel like L.A. there, so I just felt like a person. And so we go in and I'm having a good time finally because I'm having scotches. I can't have beer if I know I'm going to get on a plane because then I don't have to go to the bathroom. So I had three scotches, three McAllen's, and then I eat something. Now, obviously, I was drunk when I ordered this because nobody should eat what I'm about to tell you before they get on a, a goddamn cross-country flight. So I'm drinking the three McAllen's, and then I have three huge deviled eggs that were bacon-infused. I shouldn't be saying this in Yom Kippur, and they were amazing. I love deviled eggs, especially when they're done well. And then I had a Reuben, which is like pastrami and sauerkraut. Am I the stupidest human being on the planet? And then I was like, oh, I'll have ginger ale while I'm eating it. That'll help my stomach. Well, nothing is going to help your stomach after that. So I go to the airport. It's already bubbling, and I'm like, this is horrible. I'm going to have to cancel the flight. I'm going to have to cancel the flight. I'm not going to be able to get on that plane. And I was panicking. I went, and I had a little coffee, and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. It's bubbling. It's bubbling. You know how nervous I get about this. And I normally never eat before because of this, but I thought she was traveling with me, but she changed her flight. She changed her flight to stay a few extra days, and that subsequently changed my seat. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, you're like the worst. Like, she fucked up something. She fucks up everything else except this one studio, which was good. So that gives us hope. But, and I feel bad because she is nothing but a, like a lovely girl, you know. But so, yeah, so I was by myself. So, you know, normally if I was sitting by the window and she was going to be in the aisle, then I don't mind asking her to get up. But we weren't traveling together. And she didn't have me in an eye. I was in like the middle of a bunch of people. I don't know what happened. I would never travel like that. But so I called my friend at United and he was able to get me an aisle seat. And then before I got there, I got a window. But I found a private bathroom at the airport. It's like a family bathroom and it was private. And I'm like, you know what? This I could do. And this guy left and I went right in. I locked the door. I put my bag up there. I, I think I took off my shirt like George Costanza. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just praying I would remember it. If I could. <laughs> like, come in topless. The airport. I'm like, ah, that's right. But uh, everything came out that needed to happen. And then it felt like a million bucks. It was terrific. I'm like, I can go on any flight for hours. It's going to be amazing. And the reason I usually don't fly United is because they don't have the TV screens uh, or the TV but I was like, no, they now they have enough that it'll be good. But this time, it had no screens. You were supposed to put your phone up there and watch shit on it. I don't do that. I always turn it off. So that was, like, bad. But the flight was so short. It was terrific. It was, like, four hours and a half and, you know, much shorter than normal. And uh, I don't know. It's just like, I'm so glad I'm going home that I don't care. And when I get out of that plane, I'm just, I feel like a million bucks. I just felt so good. My stomach wasn't bothering me in the least. I was so happy to be back in Newark, so happy. I love going to Newark. I hate JFK. I was so happy to be in New Jersey. It just made me feel good. That's why I'll check a bag. I check a bag every time because I'm just like, I have lots of patience. Once I'm at the airport, I don't want to just go. I want to hang around. I want to walk around. I want to take my time. I'm so happy. I was sitting down for five, six hours. Now I'm just 
this is great. Let's just be patient, you know? And then, you know, I drove home. I went right to work. I was exhausted because I was technically also hungover. I went right to work. And here we are. There it is, folks. What are you going to do, right? I mean, there it is. That's the uh, it's the podcast, right? Hey, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? He pushed right past me into the sitting room. And I, I thought I told you to keep that punk out of here. Sorry, you can find me. Jordan? Uh, I don't know why I like it. I don't know what I, why I want to be that guy. I just do. By the way, uh, today is, I mean, technically today, really, I think it might be the 3rd of October or the 5th. But today, technically, in the Jewish calendar, is my 14-year 14, 14 anniversary of my death day. 14 years ago, I fell on a glass table on Yom Kippur, and I died, cut an artery in my butt, and I died, and then they brought me back to life. And every day when things go wrong, when I get uh, no respect from a meeting I'm supposed to have, when my cat is dying, when things aren't going my way, I wonder why God brought me back. I can't figure it out. I don't know why I'm here. Uh, so this is the day I reflect on that. I just, I don't, I was like ready to go. I remember as I was dying, I'm just like, well, this is good. This is probably best. It was going to end like this anyway. All I could think about while I was dying, and you can read the article. I wrote the whole thing for Men's Health Magazine many years ago. I guess it's 2003. All I was thinking about is like, well, I don't got to worry about dead anymore. I don't got to worry about anything really anymore. This is a very pleasant way to go out. I was just like kind of falling asleep, even though I couldn't catch my breath, which was scary. But I think about that all the time because, you know, it's losing so much blood. <sighs> you can't catch your breath. You can't take an inhale enough. It's terrifying. But it was very soothing. And uh, But I'm still alive for some God knows what reason. And that's, you know, I guess life's too short to uh, not eat one day. Like I should do it, but then why? Why am I doing it? What am I doing it for? Life is crappy with or without whether I eat or not. I mean, meanwhile, I'd like to fast every day. You know, it's funny. I'd like to fast every day. Like, I want to stop eating because I want to lose weight. I want to pull a Russman Eve and only eat every two days. But the funny thing is on Yom Kippur, when you know you can't eat, that's worse. If you know you're just not eating because you want to lose weight, it's kind of different. But when you know you're not allowed to eat, it's like so different. And everything on TV just looks so delicious. It's I remember my dad would always say, why do they keep putting on so many McDonald's commercials? They know it's Yom Kippur. <laughs> and maybe that's their plan. Or maybe they didn't even give it a second thought. You know, I think, you know, we uh, when you're Jewish or any religion, really, you always think everybody knows you know, what's going on. You always think the, the networks, no, no, we know it's Yom Kippur. That's why uh, we're being very respectful and not putting any food ads on. Of course, that's ridiculous. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. When we were going to school and we just have the day off, I think most of the kids, of course, I don't know, 
But they were like, why are we even off? What's happening? What what holiday is this? Oh, we, we always wondered what it was like for the, you know, everybody else who just had two days off from Rosh Hashanah and a day off for Yom Kippur. Like, this is great. You know, our town would do now. I don't now. I don't wonder if they take off at all for Edison. It's all it's all Indians. I bet you they still have school. But uh, also, uh, I bought this watch. I don't know whether I told you about it. It's this purple watch. It looks like a piece of taffy. I bought it at the Halloween shop, and everybody's been talking about it because I can't stop wearing it. All it does is tell the time, but I love it. It only tells the time, and that's why I like it because everybody thinks it's like, oh, my God, what does that do? What is it? You know, and I'm like, it tells the time. If I press the button, the time comes up. I'm doing it right now. Time comes. It takes about 30 seconds to get to the time, but it comes up. Oh, and I was so I was thinking, um, oh, I forgot to get that clip out. Or did I? Um, ooh. Let me see if I have that clip because I was preparing it for you guys. Um, so if I don't, I'll, I'll get it next time. But um, ooh, let me go to the, let me just make sure, see if I do have it. I thought I had it. Um, oh, no, because it, um, it was James Bond. Okay, I don't have it, but I will. But anyway, so I was looking at, um, in Live and Let Die, James Bond, his first watch in Live and Let Die is one of those old-fashioned, like the ones I have, where you have to press the button, it's the black screen, and the red thing comes up. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, if you're watching that in the movies, you'll be like, oh, my God, that's so cool. But that was like a real watch. In the 70s, that was the exact time when I remember the first time I saw it, was on Yom Kippur at Temple. Some guy we were sitting next to had that watch where you press it and then you see the time in red. And my dad and I were like, oh my God, that is so cool. Isn't that funny? When meanwhile, like, isn't the best kind of watch the one you just kind of look and then the time's right there? Like whether it's a quartz watch or a digital, you know? <laughs> so ridiculous that you press the button and then uh, you got you got to do extra work to find the time. It seems like uh, it's lame. And meanwhile, in Live and Let Die, then he gets that second watch, which I've been looking for. I've been looking for a bunch. I've been looking for the Octopussy watch like nonstop. But he gets the second one, which might be the coolest of all the watches because it does so much. First, when he moves the dial, it's a quartz watch, it turns into... Uh, a, a really powerful magnet uh, so he can, like, deflect a bullet maybe. So he turns it on, and remember, the first thing he does is take M's uh, spoon for his coffee because uh, M doesn't know what the watch does. He goes, oh, Q bought this uh, from... Like, Q doesn't, Q's not in the movie for some reason. So he twists the watch, and the thing goes, and then he uses the watch, he puts the magnet on again to lower the Italian secret agent's uh, dress so he can have sex with her one more time before he leaves for the mission which is so brilliant. And you get to see his apartment, which is really cool. And I think I'd like to get that apartment when I get money. I want to have the live and let die James Bond apartment, which I think the only other time you see his apartment might be in, is it Inspector? I, I can't remember. Uh, it's an awesome apartment if you ever get to see it. That's how it opens. That's how you find him. He's sleeping with this uh, Italian secret agent. And then M and Moneypenny come over his house. And it just looks awesome. Like the bedrooms, like goes upstairs and it goes right to the door, and then the kitchen is to the right. But all, but you go downstairs to do. It. And then he makes M like a cappuccino or something with all these buttons, whistles. And then he goes, "Is that all it does?" Because M hates Bond. He's like so angry at him all the time. He knows he's the best, but he knows he's cocky and he's always angry at him. 
you know, like our favorite scene, like, Colonel Smithers is giving the lecture, 007. Um, and then, so later, that watch, when he's roped up by um, Yafet Kodo at the end in the, in the, you know, the ropes, he can turn the watch to be a saw, like a really high-powered saw, and then he's able to cut through the rope. So that is the best watch because it does everything. The one in Moonraker is a plastic explosive. He takes the little key out, and that becomes a – that's a pretty – oh, the one in Moonraker actually, not only is it the plastic explosive, but it also has those nerve pellets that he can do from signals from his brain to shoot a dart, a poisonous dart, to you know kill uh, Drax at the end and to uh, – Make sure when he's on that G-Force uh, machine, he can uh, do it to him. So that's an interesting watch, too, but it's too big. It's too big. It's uh, it's too big a watch. And how they don't take it from him, uh, you know, when they capture him, I, I'm not, not sure. Because it clearly does something other than tell time. That's a huge one. At least the other ones, it just looks like a normal watch. But really, if you're tying somebody up and you're feeding them to the sharks, you should really strip them of their of their jewelry, you, you would think. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Am I? Am I crazy? <laughs> Obviously, I'm insane. Uh, so anyway, so here's the story. Let's um, let's look at it this way. Uh, okay. I don't know. This podcast has been a little weird, but uh, so much to say. It's been gone for two weeks. Whatever. Um, I don't think I left anything out. Oh, I'm doing uh, Artie Lang show. So these are the plugs. Artie Lang, uh, the new podcast with Anthony Cumia, uh, who we've only met once, October nineteenth. Oh my god. If the next podcast, uh, you know, it's just, you know, there's talk about my gayness, all this kind of stuff. If I'm not gay and I keep telling people I'm not gay, the next two weeks are going to solidify where people are just like, I don't believe that he's not a homosexual, let alone the story I told you that girl's just like, I want to come over to your house and just have sex. And I'm like, <laughs> so to just really just go over the limit here, uh, this week, me, my mother, and my sister are going to see Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly, Exhibit A. <laughs> and then the next week, my sister and I are going to see the girl that originated the role of Annie in the Broadway play, Annie. We're going to see Andrea McArdle at a cabaret club because we are just gay for punishment. There's just no other explanation. This is so gay that our friend Scotty Gorenstein, who's Liza Minnelli's publicist, we were like, oh, do you want to come see Andrew McArdle? He's like, no, that's too gay for me. What? Oh, my God, how embarrassing is that? (laughs) It's too gay for Scotty. So uh, that all being said, we will uh, discuss all of that in the future. Now, next week, I will play one of the podcasts. There are three upcoming. I will play one of the podcasts from L.A., It'll be me and William McLaughlin. That'll be our first one from the studios in Los Angeles. And uh, then I think what we'll do is we'll switch off. Then I'll do a live one, uh, you know, like one here. Then I'll do the next week with Rachel Butera. And then another live one, unless uh, unless I have something I got to do, which I don't. And, uh, you know, so we uh, work it out. And then the week after that, we'll play the one with uh, Mitch Watson. So... We got a lot, a lot of great podcasts, a lot of good stuff coming up, and then we'll just keep you, we will keep the podcasts coming, which is the key. We keep the podcasts coming weekly, always fresh, always new. That's the way it is. Yes! 
We're going to leave you today with a little bit of Sammy Hagar. This one got all the way back to 1983. It's Sammy Hagar, and your love is driving me crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you for a lovely evening, and uh, I hope you're having a lovely day, Beethoven. Although this comes out on Monday, by the way, when this comes out, finally the first day for chicken wings. The first day for chicken wings. It's been a month. I net the whole month of September. I couldn't go on a Monday night. The first week was the Monday before Greece. The second one was the Giants game. The third one was in L.A. There was no time to go to get my favorite thing to do in the fall. The reason I exist. The reason why I'm pretty sure God kept me alive to have chicken wings on Monday nights with good friends. And you know what? That's a pretty good reason to be alive. Even though the ironic thing is the chicken wings will eventually kill me. But I, I guess that's why I'm alive. To see how many chicken wings a man of my age and girth can eat before he actually finally dies. Not just fake dying and then coming back and, you know, being everybody kidding. So that all coming up. So Monday night, going to be lots of fun, lots of fun, lots of football, lots of fall, lots of beautiful weather in this great city. The best place to be this time of the year only October, Rocktober coming up. In New York City, the Nightfly with Dave Jessica with jazz and conversation. Have a wonderful week, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the Nightfly.